Welcome to Devotions in the Deep End. I'm Cam Buchanan, and this is a carefully crafted devotional journey through the New Testament. Let's venture into deeper water as we consider what it means to follow Jesus in the world we live in now. Welcome back to Devotions in the Deep End. In the first few episodes, we've looked at Jesus' baptism, his temptation, and the very beginning of his public ministry. And this narrative is going to continue in this episode as we look at Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 to 17. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. I want to show you something pretty cool here first. In the last episode, we saw Jesus quote verses from Isaiah chapter 61 and then describe himself as its fulfillment. In this passage, Matthew adds another verse from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 to 2. The original verse reads like this, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. 1,500 years prior, ancient Israel had been subdivided for all of its 12 tribes to be able to have some inheritance within the land. The tribes were essentially given a state or a province each. And as Jesus travels through Nazareth and comes into Capernaum, these are the ancient states that he actually does ministry in. Nazareth was located where Zebulun was first established. Capernaum was a town of Naphtali. It's amazing the detailed way the Old Testament speaks about Jesus' time on earth. It was quite accurate when we study the geography of Messianic prophecy. Isaiah prophesied that these two tribes would see a great light and those living in spiritual darkness would be exposed to it. Well, we know that that light was Jesus. But as amazing as this is, it's actually not the most profound part of this passage. The words of Jesus most certainly are. Let me read these again, this time in slightly more detail from Mark chapter 1, verse 15. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Let's dissect that a little bit. The theme of Jesus' teaching from here on in is the good news or the gospel of the kingdom of God. And this would have raised hopes and heart rates everywhere it was heard. We have a kingdom, we have a gospel, and we have a call to specific action in response. All of this was both awesome and ominous at the same time. In the days not long before Jesus, Israel had been called to respond to a monarch in a pretty distinct way. I'm referring to Caesar Augustus here, and we're told that this guy held himself in really high esteem. A calendar inscription written on two stones has been found in a town called Priene, a little south of the city of Ephesus, and this dates back to 9 BC. 
the inscription commemorates the birthday of Caesar Augustus. In this inscription, we read that Augustus was sent in their words as a saviour for us and our descendants, that he might end war and arrange all things. It goes on to say that the birthday of the god Augustus was the beginning of glad tidings. This is the word that we call the gospel, for the world that came by reason of him. And finally, it says all people of the world who surrender and pledge allegiance to him would be granted salvation from destruction. This is the pagan royal shadow that hung over Israel in the first century, and Roman messengers, what we could call pagan evangelists, had been sent to ensure the region knew the glad tidings of the Pax Romana, the so-called Peace of Rome. So imagine the uproar in Galilee when Jesus began to announce his kingdom. I have glad tidings, everyone. The kingdom of God is now near. Imagine the hope springing up in Israel at the sound of that. They had dreams of a native king from the line of David who would bring things back to order once again and that outside pagan forces like Rome would no longer rule them. But Jesus was wearing the robe of a rabbi, not the armor of a warrior. This wasn't quite in the Jewish plan. And Jesus was speaking in a way that their occupying overlords would call treason. As far as Rome was concerned, the gospel was already in place. In light of all that, the gravity of the call from Jesus here is big. That call is to repent and believe. Jesus didn't look like a king, but he wanted his audience to believe in his kingdom. He didn't look all that conquering and powerful, but he wanted all in earshot to go all in with him. And we're not just talking about a mere cognitive gesture here. Belief is a verb. It calls for a way of life that puts legs on your value system. And this is evident in the next part of the call. Repent. Whether it be the religious and devout like the Jews, or pagan and overly trusting in a human empire like the Romans, Jesus cried out to all who would listen, Stop. You're doing it wrong. Repent. Think differently. And adopt his way of life instead. The good news of the kingdom of God would have its own agenda that went beyond all human schemes. It stood in the way of emperors and empty religion alike, and it called for all things to be subject to his ways. And if you aligned yourself this way and put all your trust in this kingdom instead of religious approval or the empire, you would find true freedom and liberty, even while most of the rewards for doing so is still yet to come. The gospel as Jesus preached it was dangerous and exciting and hopeful. It was treasonous to the world. But if you went all in, you'd discover it is far greater than the world. And the amazing thing to ponder here is that while Jesus announces this kingdom and calls for definitive action in response, he also points out that this kingdom has a unique proximity. Jesus tells us that the kingdom of God has come near. If you're reading a different Bible translation to me in this session, you might find alternatives such as at hand or coming soon to describe the proximity of this heavenly kingdom. A study of this word in the original language shows the meaning to be nearing or making its approach. It is a word that cannot be confused with the word here or present in full. The idea is that with the arrival of Jesus, 
the kingdom of God is now within reach and tangibly present, but in a mysterious twist, not fully in grasp for the time being also. Now, if you're confused by that, don't worry, you are not alone. There's been a lot of debate among church leaders long before you and I on how to engage with this idea. And the common phrase to describe this proximity that most have landed on is this. The kingdom of God operates in a place of tension between already and not yet. The already part obviously started with the work, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, followed by his ascension and distribution of the Holy Spirit. The not yet is, of course, the eternal life we live in hope of. And as we work our way through the Gospels and even the rest of the New Testaments, we're going to see both of these ideas in tension. And that understanding starts with our main passage in this episode. So the message of Jesus in this light is relatively simple to see. There's a kingdom which is heavenly based. All of Israel and the rest of the world will have the invitation to be part of this kingdom. All the world will be able to make its king their sovereign leader and Lord. And you'll have grace extended to be able to partake in this kingdom's culture. But in this life, we'll be living more in anticipation than full realization. The kingdom of heaven will have some power and influence now, but it will not be something we will see in its fullness this side of eternity. The presence of God's kingdom is seen in his followers and the influence he wields through his disciples. But war and poverty and sickness and conflict and crime, all these things will still be somewhat present because its driving force has not been fully stopped yet. As believers, we cling to God's kingdom in the knowledge that the day where all that stops is coming. This was an urgent call for all that would hear. God has come in the flesh and moved to the neighborhood. His work and ministry would usher in a new and final era for the world as we know it. God's eternal kingdom will be reigning soon. And through Jesus, we see God has now set the agenda. If we want to be a part of that, get on board now. So let's consider the way we can respond to that now. First, Jesus is calling for us to embrace a new kingdom. And one where we don't call the shots, he does. It has its own culture and it has conditions of entry and citizenship that we will be expected to agree to. It has rights and responsibilities. It comes with rights because its king makes room for us to become co-heirs and children of God. It also comes with responsibilities. Christians understand that as citizens of this kingdom, we are merely passing through this current one. But while we're here, we serve the kingdom of God as its ambassadors. A healthy Christian in this kingdom will celebrate their rights, but also willingly embrace their responsibilities as well. Next, Jesus is calling for us to trust how this kingdom operates in the here and now, as well as trusting what it will be in the future. This kingdom operates in a tension of already, but not yet as well. There will be a day when the not yet becomes our present reality. And this will be an amazing day for us all. Our entire future hope is built on that time. The already part is going to be the interesting time for us, though. In Jesus' immediate audience, this would mean Israel would need to be content to wait until eternity kicked in for God's kingdom to be fully realized. The rabbi before them was asking them to trust him completely without promising to end the rule of the Roman Empire. 
that's not quite the king they wanted, so this would take some faith on their end. It means for us that our problems and the issues of the world may not magically go away in this life too. There will be times where the influence of the kingdom will indeed shine through, even into our circumstances. But there will be times where God in his sovereign way doesn't appear to do that. There will be miracles and healing throughout the church age. We hear about them now, even as Jesus did them then. But experience tells me that this is not always the case. Even as I record this, we are in the middle of a global pandemic. Although I haven't seen an eradication of things, I can most certainly see the kingdom of God supernaturally at work all around the place at this time. And sometimes I am seeing miracles happening too. I've seen many Christians carry sickness and disability for years, and those are some of the most God-glorifying and productive people I've ever met. Their faith and anticipation of the kingdom to come is what gets them through. They have gone all in with their future hope, and others are blessed and drawn to that just as much, perhaps even more, than the miracles and signs that we also see around the place. Can we follow the sovereign leading of God, even if in his sovereignty he chooses not to meet certain needs in our life? Can we trust what the Lord is doing now and live in realistic hope for the wonders we will experience in eternity? And can we live out a life where we are actively anticipating the kingdom to come? What if the end of suffering and injustice and inequality and homelessness and hunger and all those things that some actually blame God for was actually possible through those who are in his kingdom now? I personally believe we can make a huge contribution together on that. And finally, are we willing to truly repent? We've often framed this around the idea of repeating a prayer of salvation, and this is certainly a valid start. As a preacher, I lament that we are not always clear enough about what that really means. It's almost like the idea of actual change in our lives after this prayer is the hidden fine print of the contract. But not so with Jesus. He announces his kingdom. He does so knowing full well it would challenge religion as it was practiced back then. He knows it will challenge the secular world around them and even come across as high treason in a world where a gospel is apparently already in place. And he also announces something that has more on offer in eternity than in the present. There's a whole lot of potentially hazardous life to be lived between belief, repentance, and the eventual realization of things. And yet, Jesus up front calls us to go all in with him anyway. Align all your value system with his kingdom. What matters to him, not the world around us? This call is more than avoiding hell by saying a prayer. This is a call to a whole new way of thinking and living, with a new sovereignty to serve and align ourselves with. This is the first and overarching message of Jesus. There will obviously be much to say about this as we go along in this journey. But for now, let's stop and pray. Jesus, you came and proclaimed a whole new kingdom. I choose today to align myself completely with this kingdom and its agenda. I choose to trust its present workings, and I look forward to its full realization. In this in-between time, help me to continually seek out what the culture and the value system of your kingdom is. Help me to trust it more and more, and to actively anticipate it through the way I live. Help me to be a worthy ambassador. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. To stay in touch, like our Devotions in the Deep End Facebook page, 
and subscribe on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. I look forward to catching up next time.